It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Essentia is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You're listening to The Podcast, a weekly adventure with nature in the British countryside from the people who make BBC Country Farm magazine. I'm Fergus Collins, and I'm your host. Welcome aboard. This week, we've invited a former podcast guest to take the reins. Back in episode 199, I met up with James MacDonald Lockhart to hear the songs of skylarks in the Cotswolds. This week, we're releasing him into his natural habitat, the wilds of Glenfeshie and surrounding Cairngorm mountain range in northern Scotland. He's on a quest to meet one of Britain's most unusual birds, the dotterel. I am walking along a narrow road through Glenfeshie on the western edge of the Cairngorms. Uh, it's a warm, muggy afternoon. It's been about 23, 24 degrees and uh, there's a few thundery showers lurking around the hills. I'm looking up at the sky a bit apprehensively at the moment as I keep hearing some thunder run, rumbling in the distance. I'm hoping it's going to stay dry as I'm planning to spend the night out camping up on the Moyne Moor, the Great Moss, a vast plateau high on the Cairngorms. And that's where I'm heading now in about a mile or so. I should reach a farm called Achlain and there I'm going to turn off the road and take a footpath due east, climbing steeply up the moor, up towards the plateau. Uh, I can see, I can see where the path is going to lead up ahead of me, climbing up the hill to the side, and it does look quite steep. I think it's going to be a slow, hot slog up that hillside. It's the most beautiful glen. Glenfeshie. Um, up the slopes on my left there are lots of uh, Scots pines, great old Scots pine trees and in amongst them plenty of birch, um, heather, bracken just coming out now, lots of bog cotton, cotton grass in amongst the heather. To my right about a quarter of a mile away at the moment, I can see the the river Feshi uh, running fast, cool, and it's rather tempting to head down there and cool off in this in this warmth. But I'm going to keep heading south till I reach the farm, and then head up onto the tops. And one of the reasons I'm making this walk today is that. I'm hoping I might see some of the 
birds that breed up on the plateau in the summer, particularly the wading birds like um, golden plover, dunlin, and one bird which I'm very much hoping I might see is a rare wading bird in the British Isles called the dotterel. And it's really only found breeding in this country on the high whaleback ridges in the highlands, often up to uh, above the 2,500 feet mark, up to way up above 3,000 feet. I've tried to see dotterels in the pass on some of the hills just to the south of here but uh, I've never been successful so I'm hoping that I might be lucky on this trip and get to see these beautiful wading birds. Um, they're one of these birds that I suppose has perched itself in my imagination. Um, this bird that migrates here late April, early May and heads for the highest parts of these islands to breed. I've often been fascinated by um, how they've adapted to that environment, how they manage to breed up there. I would absolutely love to be able to see them, but um, if I don't, hopefully there'll be other birds to see along the way. I've just heard a lot of willow warblers calling in amongst the birch trees as I've been walking along. And I'm sure there'll be lots of other birds as I head into the, the pine forest, which is just up ahead. I've just stopped for a breather in the pine wood, climbing up the side of the glen. And the willow warblers that I heard down in the glen amongst the birch scrub seem to have given way to chaffinches singing here. And there's also a, a black cap one of the trees just below me, singing its fast, rapid, whirling song. So I've just had, having a breather um, and stopped for a bit of a, some water, which I think I'm going to have to do on several occasions in this warmth. I'm not in any kind of rush. The forecast said that these storms would move on in the early evening around seven o'clock, so I'm going slowly the aim that hopefully the storms will um, move ahead of me so that by the time I get up to the plateau they'll have long gone but you may be able to hear some thunder there rumbling away in the background and I'm, I'm keen not to be stuck up on the plateau in a storm so just slow steady progress up through the wood for the time being one of the problems with stopping for too long in these woods on a muggy evening like this is that the midges quickly find you so I've started walking again there's a robin calling uh, singing in the trees just to my left I can't see it but you can probably hear it just up there I've noticed as I've been walking along there are hundreds of moths which seem to come out of the heather as I pass them and uh, just uh, tiny little moss uh, sprinkling out of the heather there's another very pale looking one I just got up in front of my feet the other thing I've noticed quite a lot of on this path is uh, lots of um, scat that's been left by what I'm not quite sure um, possibly a pine martin, just a few inches long, quite thin, narrow scat. Um, I expect these woods hold a good, good population of pine martins. And I can see up ahead of me where the tree line finishes, so I would say in the next five to ten minutes I should start to emerge out of this pine wood. I've just stopped now on the path, just as the tree line is finishing, just a few sporadic, short 
pines clambering up the last bit of hillside before they peter out and it's just moorland and heather from there on looking back down towards upper Glen Feshi hills on either side of the Glen stunningly clear you might be able to hear a cuckoo calling down in the Glen been following the path up the hillside since I left the tree line below me for about half an hour now and as I predicted when I was looking up at the hills from the glen it's quite slow and warm work every time I stop instead of the midges down in the in the wood I get that whirring familiar noise of mosquitoes bearing down on me and so I quickly keep going again to the south it's uh, clearing nicely and blue sky I can see all the tops and sitting above Upper Glen Feshi I can see the river and the shingle banks either side it winding its way through the forest down the glen one of the interesting things about Dotterill is that it's the uh, male who does uh, most of the incubation and rearing of Dotterill chicks. The female is larger and more brightly coloured than the male and uh, she, when they arrive uh, on these hills in May usually, they uh, assemble in, in what are known as trips usually half a dozen or more birds grouped together and uh, over the next few days this this trip of dotterel made up of males and females uh, run around the tops here eventually start to pair off with the females displaying to the males and once a pair is formed they go off and inspect their territory and look for a suitable scrape on the ground which they might um, attend to by, by scraping out the moss and vegetation themselves. Sometimes there can be dozens of these scrapes that the pair attend to before they select one for the female to lay her eggs in. And once she's laid the eggs the male then takes over incubation duty um, all by himself whilst the female tend to head off and uh, form what are known as hen parties with other females and they roam around the tops and sometimes uh, these females who've already mated will, will mate with another male and uh, that male too will will take over incubating the eggs. Occasionally females have been observed to, to help out with these second broods but more often than not it's the male who incubates the eggs and then rears the young. So one of the things I'm going to be looking out for when I get up onto the tops is for these, possibly there may still be some of these these trips, these loose groups of birds around and see if I can identify the males and the females uh, and distinguish between them on account of their, their different size and colour. Uh, they may have already paired off. Males may, may already be sitting on eggs. I'm just not sure. Um, but I'll just have to have a look when I get up there and hope that I might, might come across some of the birds. It still feels like there's a long way to go to get to the top. I've been stopping every now and again to look back down into the glen. Patches of cotton grass in flower sprinkled over the, the hillside like somebody sprinkled a pale dust in amongst the heather. It's very beautiful and striking. I've come up away from the, the thick, dense heather 
into what feels much more like a montane uh, habitat with short, flat heather bushes, um, quite a lot of reindeer lichen, mosses, uh, stony ground in amongst the, the heather. This feels much more like uh, could be suitable to dotterels. Lots of springy flat moss for them to, to run over. But so far I haven't seen any of the birds. Uh, I'm still some, some way down elevation-wise, so there's a way to go before I get up to the, the 3,000 feet mark. I've been thinking a bit more about Dotterel and another interesting uh, feature of the birds, if you like, is that they tend to be quite tame around humans. Uh, they uh, will often sit on their nest even when someone's walking quite close by. So earned them the name Moss Fool because they were so trusting towards people who find it easy to then uh, capture them to eat. Um, another thing I've been thinking about the birds is uh, related to the work of my great-grandfather, the naturalist Seton Gordon. He lived a long life, born in the 1880s, died in 1976, and during that life he wrote many books about the, the wildlife of the highlands, and he spent his, his childhood, his teenage years, uh, getting to know these hills and getting to know the birds there. He fell in love with particularly the the mountain specialists, if you like, the birds such as uh, ptarmigan, snow bunting, golden eagle, and of course the dutteral. And uh, Seaton made many uh, studies of dutterals, wrote about them and photographed them. Uh, and one of them in particular, one of these photographs, really stood out for me. It's an image of uh, Audrey. Gordon, Seaton's wife, kneeling beside a dotterel, a male of course, sitting on its nest. And just a few uh, inches windward of the bird, um, Audrey and Seaton have uh, placed a, a snowball. And it was such a, a hot day when they were studying this, this dotterel, they noticed that the bird was panting in the heat. And so they went over to the nearest snowfield and scooped up a snowball and placed it beside the, the panting bird so that the wind would blow cool air over it as the dotterel sat on its nest. So I've just stopped to refill my water bottle in the burn and had a drink, lovely cold mountain water. It tasted absolutely wonderful after a long climb up the hill. I'm looking back across Glen Feshi and it still seems to be raining over on the hills on the west. I think they're probably getting a lot of rain over in the Spean Bridge that way at the moment. Keeping my fingers very tightly crossed that it's going to keep heading that way and not come back towards the east. And I'm just going to pause here and let you listen to this mountain burn making its way down the steep side of the of the Cairngorms. I just paused on top of the plateau. It's on eight o'clock in the evening. I've been wandering around doing a bit of a recce and uh, just come across a golden plover about uh, 60 yards ahead of me. You can hear it maybe just calling. 
It's got a beautiful black breast, speckled patterning down its back, and it's just kind of scurrying, keeping ahead of me as I walk on and making that mournful peep, peep sound. Just a couple of minutes earlier, and now it's taken off and just flying away across the moor. A few minutes earlier, there was a, a Dunlin as well, which crossed my path. I didn't get a very good look at it because my binoculars kept steaming up with all the yeah, uh, sweat that's coming off my face. It's so warm up here still, but it's lovely to see the Dunlin and and the golden plover. I've been looking for somewhere to pitch my tent and uh, there's just uh, not a lot of fresh water because it's been so dry so I've decided to uh, make my way back to that burn that I filled my water bottle from a bit earlier and see if I can find somewhere flat beside it to put the tent up. At least then I've got some fresh water to cook with. It looks reasonably flat here, it's very soft and mossy, so hopefully I should be able to find somewhere. It's now quarter to ten in the evening. I've got the tent up and I've just cooked some supper and uh, washed up and feeling very revived after that long hot climb earlier this afternoon. The uh, sun is just starting to go down in the west and uh, uh, some cloud about uh, 10 minutes ago some clouds just moved into the glen below me and filled up the glen so that I was actually sitting looking out across the clouds to the hills on the other side of the glen and they start, the clouds are now started to break up a bit and it's the most beautiful evening uh, you can see for miles across all the hills to the west to the north and south the thunder has moved off now and I haven't heard a rumble for I think about an hour and a half. It's very quiet and still. When I arrived at the spot where I put my tent up I was busy putting the pegs in and things like that and um, I suddenly heard two peep peep sounds and turned round to see two ptarmigan chicks scurrying across the moss and as I watched them the adult female ptarmigan then started to crouch run towards me came very close about 12 feet away I would think with its wings outspread so I could see the white underneath its wings it's had its kind of dappled um, brown fawn grey summer plumage but the white was still showing under the wings and uh, yeah so that this uh, adult female then started to circle my tent <laughs> going round and round trying to I think draw my attention away from its two chicks who by now had found somewhere safe and then the adult gradually started to move away from me and I watched it perched on a mound looking towards where its chicks were and then I watched it scurry away reunite with the chicks so that was a lovely encounter um, I expect it's going to be light for some time still even though it's coming up to 10 o'clock um, and I'm just gonna sit outside the tent rest my feet it's just gone half past seven in the morning I've uh, packed up the tent and had some breakfast I had a good night's sleep temperature was quite a bit uh, cooler in the night and I slept comfortably on the soft springy moss. This morning it's much cooler than it was yesterday, probably around uh, 12 or 13 degrees at the moment and you can maybe hear the, that it's much more of a breeze this morning. Um, but it's clear and dry and I can see all the mountains over to the west and the peaks in the far distance hazy. I got up around six o'clock this morning and I was standing outside the tent when I heard a, a whistling peep, 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 peep call 
behind me. I could see a bird perched on a tuft of grass about a mm, hundred feet away. It was making a different call from a golden plover, much more rapid sounding. And I, I scrambled for my binoculars and I could just make out a white face and a, and a grey neck. The bird definitely seemed less tall than when a golden plover is perched on the ground. And I, but I couldn't quite identify it uh, because of the distance. So I reached back inside the tent and quickly assembled my scope. I focused in on the bird and sure enough there were the beautiful rusty orange colours of a dotterel. A striking white line separating the, the grey neck from the orange breast. I thought I was going to be in for a, a long day trudging around the hill hoping to spot the birds and was fully expecting that I may have to head home having not seen any. But there was one calling from just a, a short distance from where I'd slept the night. I've just been following the burn from where I camped up and it starts to dry up very quickly um, and after a while there's no water in it. And up ahead of me I can hear a, a dotterel calling um, but I've not been able to see the bird. Um, just as I came up onto the plateau um, a golden plover started to call as well so for a while I heard both birds dotterel and golden plover calling together golden plovers call much louder single mournful note and I stopped and, and watched the plover perched on the moss in front of me I could had a really good view of its all black breast and its very striking beautiful breeding plumage and then after a while the, the plover got up and flew low over the moss towards the south and another golden plover got up and joined it and flew with it in that direction. The uh, dotterel had stopped calling but seemed to have been moving towards the north so I'm heading that way now slowly keeping my ears open and hoping I might hear it again. It's wonderfully clear up here now. I can see Breiriach mountain to the west. It's a small patch of snow just below the summit of the mountain. All the hills are really clear. Uh, so I'm just going to walk on a bit further now and uh, see see if I can catch up with the dotterel again. I've just been watching three golden plover feeding on the moss in front of me. I'm sitting in a kind of small stone uh, shelter here, uh, which somebody's piled up many, many years ago. It's giving me a little bit of shelter out of the wind, which is, has picked up now. You can probably hear it. The, um, the golden plover, uh, there are two males and a female. The female has a, a paler looking head, not so much black on her breast and neck. Males stand out very sharply with that all black breast and black face. I can hear a snipe also calling its chukka 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 call in the bog below me. The moss is, stretches out for miles to the south. There are lots of small lochens, bee tags. And it just goes on and on. Stony, boggy, mossy ground, way into the distance. Still haven't seen any more dotterels since I've been, since I saw one this early this morning, and uh, since I heard one as I was walking up the bird. And I've just uh, decided to concentrate on a small area of the hill and uh, sit tight and wait and see if any dotterel will come to me. I think one of the sounds of the kangorms. Probably more than any other is the wind, and I'm just going to pause before I to start start to descend and listen to the wind for a couple of minutes.
walking back down the path towards the glen. I can see the tree line up ahead about, looks like about a mile off. It's uh, half past 11 now in the morning. I just passed somebody on the path who had a, a telescope strapped to their backpack. So we stopped and had a chat and I told them about the birds that I'd seen. That made me realize that it's been a really good trip. I've been very fortunate in what I've seen. Ptarmigan last night, crouch scurrying around my tent. Its wings spread out, fanning its tail. The white two chicks scurrying away across the moss. This morning, watching the golden plover, the three of them, the two males and the female, feeding together out on the moss. And then of course, early this morning, waking up and hearing and then seeing the dotterel, continuing to hear it calling and following it for a while. Um, but despite having a good look round the rest of the hill, I didn't come across any more dotterel. I've just stopped in the wood now and uh, been listening to Chaffinch singing the same spot I'd stopped yesterday afternoon and there's a black cap as well still a bit further down the bank today singing away and the sunlight is keeping the midges away at the moment you can probably hear the breeze blowing through the pine trees I was uh, noticing that the path uh, had these wet footprints along it and I was trying to work out uh, what had made them and then I turned a corner and up ahead there was this long line of uh, school children in red overalls and blue helmets snaking along the path in front of me and I think that they must have been uh, rafting or exploring the waterfalls in the river and then come up the bank and we're heading back down. It was quite a strange sight seeing this <laughs> this red line <sighs> slaloming away through the forest in front of me. I stopped now and they've gone on. I think this will be the last time I pause. I'll just make my way back down into the glen now. Uh, back to the car and then turn for home. Uh, it's been a very special trip. I feel very fortunate to have seen the birds that I did and uh, to have uh, encountered the dotterel this morning. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for that indeed. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ah. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And there we left James, wandering down the hill after his two-day adventure in the wilds of the Cairngorms. And I'm a bit jealous because that's the sort of job I normally do. But uh, I loved I love recording solo adventures. But really nice to have James as part of the fold. James, you might recall, was a guest with me in episode 199 when we talked about skylarks. But this is altogether much wilder. 
talking about much wilder. I'm in the studio with with Hannah, not Jack this week, our regular producer, but Britt, who's stepped into Jack's very small shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Hello, Britt. (laughs) Hello. Really good to have you on board. And Britt, you've been a guest a couple of times before, so uh, in the studio, in the plod chat. So nice to have you. It is lovely to be here. Oh, very, very good. Um, And I well. Look, huge wandering adventures in the hills. Uh, it was all James is about. And gosh, I loved all his stories, particularly of his, he talked about his his great-grandfather, who's this pioneering photographer. And I really felt, gosh, this is James's natural habitat. In fact, I'm going to ask you, what, Britt, what's your natural habitat? And have you had a wonderful wild walk somewhere? Yeah, I was thinking my wildest walk that I've had recently is actually right next to Cheltenham. So it's not very, it's not all that wild at all. But it was a day when the clouds were really low. And there's this big hill behind Cheltenham called Cleave Hill. Oh, I know. Yes. Yeah, Gosh, just good hill. beautiful. And usually, um, so my parents live quite near. So usually I'd walk up to the top of Cleave Hill and really enjoy looking over all of Cheltenham and beyond. You can see so far. But this time the clouds were really low. And so I started walking up the hill and within five minutes of my walk, I was surrounded by cloud, didn't see a single person, was up there for about an hour just wandering around. Luckily, I know it quite well at this point, but it just felt so peaceful and so wild. And so I just felt totally on my own, like the only person in the world. And it was just so lovely. And so I think that's probably the wildest, the wildest walk I've had for a while. So that's conditions where the clouds come down. So you had no visibility, presumably. None at all. Wow. It was amazing. And then every so often you'd see like a, as I walked closer to a tree, you'd kind of see it appearing and it was quite spooky, but um, really, really nice. Isn't there a poem? I wandered lonely in a cloud. Is that, is that the one? Is that words worth? Or? <laughs> words not very worth. <laughs> um, Hannah, have you had a wild, have you been wild and free somewhere? What's your wild habitat? The wildest walk I can think of is uh, one of our DOV expeditions oh, where right. we all went a bit feral and just sort of, <laughs> it's that thing of like um, spending the night out in the outdoors, kind of spending all day and all the next day and how it really tends to transform your thinking. It kind of, you end up returning to yourself in a way. Oh, what do you mean by that? That's really interesting. I sort of think I know what you mean, but well, say returning so, uh, to yourself, you sort of, I love it that It removes all the, all the artifice. You're kind of, you're concentrated inside your body. You're like, well, my feet hurt and it's cold and I can smell this and I want to eat these things. And you sort of, you come back to the centre of yourself. I did not have that experience on DV. <laughs> 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 well, what was yours like? Wet, lots of blisters. Yeah, Very but this hungry. Is, this is exactly raw what I'm pasta. saying. Yeah. <laughs> These are your basic needs. Basic, raw pasta. Raw pasta. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Too hungry to wait to boil the oh water. My goodness, oh, so that's how that went. Oh no, you must have. I'm been. glad you had a nice time. <laughs> Hannah found herself. <laughs> Dear V. Well, well, that's great. Well, not so long ago then, was no, it? it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I liked it so much I went back as a group leader as well. So not only was I like oh, I want to do this. I was like, I'm going to teach you kids how to do it too. And no one died. <laughs> <laughs> um, brilliant. Uh, wild places. I think I was trying to think of what a place, but I, mine would also be Scotland, just getting lost while on a fly fishing trip last year, actually, in a synth where land and water, there's so many locks and they're all wibbly wobbly shapes and they all blend into each other and there are crags. And once you're down by the lock side, you can't see very far beyond the next crag. And you go to the next lock and you think, oh, I'll definitely catch a fish in this lock. And then the next, and suddenly we were kind of lost. I mean, we could find our way on the map, but it just, it was such an epic walk back. And I remember saying, let's do a shortcut. It looks like a really tiny river just in the way. We'll be able to jump over that. And so two miles further on, and it would have been a 10 mile journey back. And the river was too deep and too wide, but we went for it because we couldn't face walking back to, so <laughs> yeah. we stripped off and went through stripped back on again um and that felt like you said we by the end of it we we sort of found ourselves we were a bit gr- i think everyone was a bit grumpy with me for taking them along on a long extra short cut but um magic and when i and i think quite a lot of these things are when you look back and go wow that was a, that was a great experience and i'm alive 
And if they were angry with you, sometimes you need that anger to power you through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's Let's a, have someone yeah. that we can beat. Yeah. <laughs> someone that we can target out. <laughs> Another really interesting thing in James's recording was about the bird he was after, which we sadly didn't actually hear, though he did see he did see one on the trip. So I'm not sure we can count it as a tick on the podcast. But he said that they, the males, this is kind of rare in the bird world, males and females reverse their roles. Mm. So normally it's the males are all sort of brightly coloured and the females are brown because they're sitting on nests and don't want to be eaten by predators. And then... But this is the other way around. I thought that was quite quite exciting. I adore that they have hen parties. Hen parties, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so happy. Yeah, they just roam around yeah. and, and perhaps couple up with other yeah. other other male dotterels who are doing all the all the duties at the nest. Uh, have you heard of any other bird species that? Um, I, I I can only think of one. I think that I know of, and I may even be. This is a bit sketchy. <laughs> I'm asking you, uh, or I'll tell you. I don't know why. No <laughs> why would you look at I was just, I was just doing, yeah. We're both looking at you. That was a lost leader question. So I, could, um, I think it's called the red phalarope. Not so different to the dotterel. It's a sort of wading type bird. Um, I, I am happy to be corrected on this, but I think it's the female that has the bright plumage and does all the battling over the, the dowdy males. And I just kind of wonder why there isn't more of this in the animal in the bird kingdom. That it's, well, in the animal kingdom generally, I can't yes. really think of that many birds where there's that massive difference. Difference mostly. I mean, obviously, lions they have their big manes and lays mm. around, and the females do all the work catching catching food. But seahorses, like, seahorses. Yeah, oh, good one. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Male sticklebacks. They uh, entice a female into the nest, although they're brightly coloured. They entice a female into the nest and then they look after the little stickleback fry. Very aggressive. So, if, well, if anyone can come up with other, other, other suggestions. More animal dads, please. Yeah, animal dads. Yeah, <laughs> dads taking responsibility. Daddy daycare of the animal kingdom. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, email us, editor at countryfile.com. We'd love to hear your tales, which is a natural segue, I think, to talking about what we we always have a little segment in the plod chat about what we've all been doing uh, since we since we were last here a week ago, Brit, as you're the special plod guest this week, have you, you you've got a gleam in your eye? <laughs> yes, I've been saving this one up. So um, this is my third time on the podcast, and each time my sighting has been on a run somewhere in Bristol. I can confirm that is my sighting again. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so I'm going to get up a video. So I'm I'm showing Fergus and Hannah now a video of a bird in the River Avon in central Bristol, and it is a cormorant eating an eel. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. No, so the... Oh, God. Uh, that's a big wriggly oh, eel. It's at least the, longer than the cormorant. It's gobbled it down. That's incredible. Down in Epic. one. So I, I paused thinking that it was, I'm really sorry, everybody, but a big duck. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and I thought, what's that in its mouth? And it's kind of at the beginning of the video, the eel is very much fighting it. Yeah, and then suddenly... And then suddenly down in one. And actually, you can see with the detail, um, the shape of the big duck. And also kind of the detail that it's got slightly, um, it's obviously very, very dark. Um, and it's got quite odd shaped wings and then brown on its face as well and a long beak. And I believe that is a cormorant. That is a cormorant. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. It's, it's now a, a very full cormorant. A very, very yeah. full cormorant. It's eel very impressive. Eel, eel meat again. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the eel is such bright silver as well compared yes. to the cormorant yeah, being yeah. really like almost black. Yeah. Mm, that's all it so is. I was very excited to see that. Yeah. It's Great quite amazing. And I didn't expect to see it. I don't think I've ever seen, I know I know they are around, but I don't think I've ever seen a cormorant in Bristol, let alone a cormorant eating an eel. So originally I got my phone out thinking, that's a cormorant, like that's that's so good, I'll film it. And then under further inspection, realised it was eating this gorgeously glittering silver eel. It's quite amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Brilliant I, animal. I can't trump it. Yeah, that is fantastic. Can't trump it, but I did once see a heron eat a rat. Oh. <laughs> it was grim. Really grim. That must have been quite a battle. It was. I mean, I the mean, eel has no chance against this cormorant, but I feel like a rat. It's a bit scrappier. It drowned it. And, oh, then, it, and, then, it, and okay. then it sort of, and then you saw the rat because um, herons have even thinner necks than, 
Yeah. I mean, is this too graphic? Is it too much? No. <laughs> uh, the rat slipped down very slowly, and the heron sort of stood there, and it looked like it wanted to say to its neighbour, could you go to the chemist and get me a pack of indigestion tablets? Because it was sort of <laughs> really disgruntled, and eventually I was there for ages watching. It was fascinating. Wow. Um, so one less rat, one fat heron. Yeah, uh, yeah more animal predatory <laughs> stories next week. Hannah, any, any uh, exciting? Not as exciting as that, but uh, I feel like this last week has been all about blackberries. Ah, yes. There have been blackberries everywhere. I've just yes. seen loads of people collecting blackberries. Loads of people have sent me pictures of blackberries. It's been laden with blackberries this week. Have you picked some? I haven't yet, um, but I plan to. Do you think they're a bit early? This it year? feels early, yeah. So we're recording mid-ish July, just, mm. just past the midway of July. And I always think of blackberries August and September. Yeah, because uh, um, they remind me of going back to school. So Do they make you feel sad? <sighs> I wasn't going to go into this, but yes, yes. Oh, really? Um, so yeah, we like, so I've had some bad news this week. It's all fine. Everything's okay. But I was feeling generally a bit wistful. And then seeing those blackberries, having that kind of autumn feeling kind of fall on my shoulders, like it's it's a lot they're very um they're very vocative it's so um symbolic of a particular time so the end of summer yeah. all of that like back to school stuff it's um yeah um, it's a lot well we're going to have to do we have to talk we have to have a whole autumn episode where we discuss the feelings of autumn we don't mm. we just go out and sit under a tree with its browning leaves yeah. and uh, and discuss just these just unpick it all oh. <laughs> well i think what we can do is offer you a lovely chocolate biscuit right now. <laughs> Thank you very much. Also, um, we should say you are wearing the most amazing cheerful outfit that, that's yes. possible to. Um, uh, and Hannah always wears something pretty spectacular to the plot chat. But this is, well, how would you describe um, it? Pink is how <laughs> pink. I describe it. Yes. Pink, but sort of checkered, like massive yes, gingham. Yes, it's gingham, yeah. Or Vichy check. Um, Vichy check sounds better. Yes. Uh, so I'm seeing Barbie. <laughs> Um, sightings and happenings <laughs> uh, and I've got big pink bow in my hair also an enormous a... pink bow I mean it's bigger than your head As a, it's enormous it's sort of it, it's kind of coming out the yes. side of your head it's like pink. I've got little tiny little ears yeah did you make it as well because you made your dress no I did not make the bow oh. I did make the dress we can cut that out <laughs> <laughs> no that's good um Yes, and Hannah makes her own dresses. I so, and I also um, made this years ago. So it's not even like I made it especially for Barbie. It just happens to be the perfect thing to wear today. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, beautiful dress and have fun tonight. Thank you. My sighting is in the garden. Having not had that many insects in the garden earlier this year, suddenly it's so full. All the things like marjoram is flowering and scabious and sort of midsummer flowers and there's just butterflies and bees and even though we've had this dreadful miserable weather every time it stopped the rain stops just suddenly the garden's alive with with hoverflies and bees and i sort of feel good that there's this little island well actually my neighbors are pretty good but there's a, quite a lot of barren gardens around where i live and it's um it's nice to see there's still lots of insects so it's a very it's it's not massively wild and exciting like peregrines or or um, barbie or Cormorants eating eels, that's definitely our style. Hard to top. Hard to top. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just have to go lame this week in response to that. I'll have to just look a bit harder for exciting things. Brilliant. If you were a listener, that would be a book from the podcast library. Because we like to, well, we get lots of lots of emails in from listeners and lots of messages on social media. And the very best ones, particularly if they send a sound of the countryside. Because you've got audio of your cormorant eating that eel, haven't you? Yes, but it's a lot of it is me going, wow, when there's nobody with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, and we don't want to really hear the sound of, an, of a cormorant swallowing an eel. I mean, I don't know. Splashy. <laughs> splashy. Gulp. Yeah, splashy. There splashy. we go. We'll just put that over the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a little burp at the end. <laughs> so, yes, um, send them in. We we love to get them. And there's, there's just, it give, brings a little bit of the countryside to us. And as always, you can reach... Jack, Britt, Hannah and me on editor at countryfile.com. So please do send them in. And the winner, the best of the week, gets a book from the podcast library. I do have a missive in the podcast post bag. And it's from our dear friend, Jeremy Pound, who's almost one of the team. 
Jeremy Pound. <laughs> Jeremy Pound. We that's love his, Jeremy. That, that's his. Um, that's his signature tune. Um, he helps us because he checks before we publish an episode. Jeremy checks them over to see we haven't done anything naughty. He's listened to every single one. I know. Lesson. I know. He's, poor he's, man. he's still our friend. Um, he has sent us an email. Jeremy was very taken with episode 201, which was, he works for Music Magazine, BBC Music Magazine, and that episode was with Erlen Cooper, the composer, who uses, incorporates natural sounds into his works. So Jeremy says, at the end of your podcast with Erlen, you briefly discuss pieces of classical music that incorporate the sounds of nature. So here we go. Now he's a clever clock he knows a lot about music so we're going to get a full a full um wonderful lesson here over the centuries many composers from beethoven to messiaen have sought to replicate the sounds of birds and animals using the instruments of the orchestra there have however been a few instances of pieces actually including recordings of wildlife itself as part of the score the earliest of these i can think of is respigi's the pines of rome from 1924 which requires the recording of a song of a nightingale to be played at the end of its third movement. And then in 1972, the Finnish composer Ratavara wrote Cantus Arcticus, which includes recordings of shorelarks and hooper swans. Perhaps the most adventurous, meanwhile, is Richard Blackford's The Great Animal Orchestra of 2014, who recorded sounds including the common potu, musical wren, Pacific tree frog, and pileated woodpecker. This wonderful orchestral work was inspired by bioacoustician Bernie Krause's book of the same name, which explores how, due to deforestation and other such environmental damage, various sounds have disappeared from the oral landscape, often leaving it sadly bare. So that's, I mean, that's kind of epically sad that some of these sounds that they um, that they've recorded are almost vanished, and I think that's similar to the nightingale in Britain that it's part of our cultural heritage and it's gone from most parts where it used to be thank you jeremy you may come down and select a book from the podcast library at your own leisure there's also one more composer oh well, i'm sure there yeah, are actually no. loads but i really like a composer called cosmo sheldrake oh yes and he's um a contemporary composer and he released an album in 2020 called wake up calls and each of his songs in the album are based around um, a songbird. Brilliant. Cool. That sounds gorgeous. And I would, I would really recommend going and listening because it's just beautiful. He's so clever. Well, and maybe we'll send you out on a podcast recce with Cosmo. Yes. If he would. I would very much like that. <laughs> yeah. It, um, yes. Loads. Well, I'm going to get on and listen to some of those. I think that sounds really fun. I should say, Britt is a great musician who's going to play at some stage, aren't you? With Jack, cellist. You play. Violin. Violin. So we're going to have a, a duet in here at some stage and hopefully something like The Lark Ascending or some other. Or the lark Listeners just... can't see the fear on my face. <laughs> <laughs> they can sense it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully that's for the future. But um, I think that's pretty much it for this week. Hannah, anything else from your side of things? No. Any corrections and clarifications? No, I think you've done a lovely job. <laughs> thank you very much. And so have you. And Britt, thank you very much for stepping into. Thank you for shoes. having me. Pleasure. Uh, we will be back next week with another adventure in the countryside. But for now, it's time to say goodbye.